Hello, Slate Plus. Back with you once again. Our weekly visit. We're calling at your house. We drop by to say hello. Hello. You look busy, but maybe not so busy. You don't have time for a few minutes of conversation with Adam and Emily and me about this election. Another aspect of this election, which I was just thinking about, and I wanted Adam and Emily to do my thinking for me, which is that we have this terrible presidential candidate, this incredibly dangerous presidential candidate, this candidate who, if elected, could genuinely uh, shake the foundations, could damage the foundations of American government, of the American nation, of the entire American experience. And there's a chance he could win, a non-zero chance he could win. So I feel that as a citizen, I face two choices. Choice number one is this is the most dangerous thing that we have faced uh, as a nation in our lifetime, as dangerous as the Cold War in some ways, more dangerous than 9-11, I would argue. And is it our responsibility as citizens to throw ourselves and do everything we possibly can to prevent Donald Trump from being elected and spend every dollar that we can spend and every minute of our free time, every word that we speak, every word that we write should go towards defeating Donald Trump because the health of the nation depends on it? Or or can we retreat because it's just being part of this political process this year? is It's painful. It's horrible to watch. It is every time I turn on the TV and see that grotesque face there and saying those vile things. I, I want to, I want to disappear. I want to not watch it. I want to not know. I want not to be part of it and just, you know, I'll go out and vote and cast my vote uh, when necessary. But do I really have to do more than that? And I think this is a dilemma that a lot of people, probably a lot of our listeners face is that do, are we obliged to participate in the fray because the health of the country is in danger or can we have a, can we just sit it out a little bit and let other people deal? So I think that the one thing about Trump is it's actually, I think it's totally fine to sit out major chunks of this. It's a long way to go, as we were saying earlier, and a lot of it's going to be ugly and painful. But I actually think one of the problems with Trump is that he keeps fascinating us and drawing us in by being outrageous. And it's not clear that anyone's reaction or fact checking or engaging with him actually hurts him. It's like the, you know, the tar baby, like we all get stuck in the goo with him somehow. That's the thing that's puzzling to me. I find myself talking about him and marveling over him much more than I wish that I was because it just seems like hugely entertaining, but a distraction. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, there's zero question. As a citizen, you have to do everything you can to prevent this man from being president. You know, it's like asking, what were you doing in the 1933 election in Germany? You're, this is a moment to think, what will my children, what will my grandchildren say about me in the future? And it's absolutely necessary that everyone who has any kind of platform use it for him. The question for me is tactics. And what is effective? And that is something I really am thinking about. It's a type of thinking I've never done before. I mean, I'm, you know, I've basically been a center left Democrat my entire adult life, but I've always been able, certainly on economics, which I write about, I've been able to find reasonable views of George W. Bush, of John McCain, of Mitt Romney. I've been able to be fairly balanced in my coverage. Um, Trump is so devoid of any economic sense that there is no balance. The objective truth is he is a 
on economics, leave aside all the other things that are terrible. He's a disaster, an objective, clear disaster. So I have no problem saying yes, even as a journalist, even as someone who has, you know, devoted my life to objectivity, I need to make it clear that everyone I can reach, this guy's a joke. The problem is, how do you how do you do that? What are the tactics? And I am wondering if playing into the he's a clown, he's a joke is actually helping him. And I'm really enjoying like Mark Cuban yesterday had such an awesome series of tweets and comments about how he's broke. He's broke. He's a desperate, broke guy throwing his name on water and ties and steaks and everything he can. And he's not even making that much money off of it. This is a loser. This is guy is lame. I had a long talk with a major real estate person in New York City who unfortunately asked me not to use his name. And he was just laughing about what a joke Trump is. He owns three buildings in Manhattan, which, hey, none of, you know, the three of us don't own three buildings in Manhattan. It's not nothing. But it's, there's a lot of people who own more than three buildings in Manhattan who aren't presidential material. So my entire question is not should we, it's how do we. I don't know what that means though. I don't I don't understand that Adam. That's that that is I mean it means he's not as rich as he says he is, but it means he's a even better he's an even better charlatan than than we thought. I mean he's that he's a better faker, a better phony, a better actor. But maybe if people uh, knew he was what, fake, what, they the, would be unimpressed with him because one of his selling points is that he's so hugely successful. I think that's right. what Adam's getting at. Yeah. Although I think, David, you literally just gave me the last line for my column that I was struggling with. I'm just going to steal that. <laughs> it is on the record here. I'm giving you credit for it, but tune in next Sunday. That's fine. Yeah. All yours. Also, David is super useful for us. Yeah. So one tactic is making fun, and that's that may not be working. Another tactic is trying to prove, disprove his yeah. wealth. Well, and then there's what Hillary seems to be pivoting to, which is he's really dangerous. He's out of step with the world order. He's questioning these fundamental structures that have made the world a safer place since World War II. I find that to be promising. The bigger thing that I'm thinking, because I I don't find the question for me personally that interesting. Like, I'm ready to devote as much time as I can, as much of my effort as I can over the next four months to to trying to defeat him. For me, the bigger challenge as a journalist and as an American is just reconciling my fact to a country that he could do as well as he has in. It's a different country than I thought I lived in. And I've been asking myself the question, is Trump making America worse or is he revealing that America was always worse than I thought it was? And I don't really know what to do with that. That's a very unpleasant, uncomfortable feeling. And I want to, you know, I want to spend some time meeting Trump supporters, figuring out a way to feel OK about living in a country with them, because I don't. I don't. So but here's the thing about that, because I've been struggling with that, too. I mean, some of it just is about the partisanship we were talking to about earlier. And to the extent I've been talking to Trump supporters, a lot of them are making their peace with him because they just figure he's not Hillary Clinton. He's not going to appoint justices of the Supreme Court who are liberals who they don't like. Right. It's they there are a lot of ways to say I don't identify with all of the hateful, racist, xenophobic, crazy stuff. But I still think this guy is better than the Democrat. I mean, to me, I thought there you know, even after this ugly, toxic political environment we've been in for so long, I thought there were lines. And I thought one of those lines was you don't say that people of a certain religion can't come into America. You don't accuse judges of ruling right. against you or because they're Mexican. You know, I thought that we had lines and those lines are right. gone and there doesn't seem to be a cost. So that is information. Like even if someone's like, look, I don't like the guy, but I like Hillary less. 
I mean, then that still is a person making a choice that I did not think, you know, I thought a much smaller number of Americans would make. But then there are these Trump supporters. Right. The rationalization. Yeah, there are people who actually right. like what he's right. saying. Well, yeah. right. That should, we should bring in David Frum's article about all those guardrails coming down, which I thought mm-hmm. did a really good right. job of capturing these yeah. justifications people are making. Yeah. So are you okay. going to sit it out? I mean, you can't sit it out. I don't you know. know. I mean, I don't I don't I don't really know. And I, I, I end up thinking well, I should participate, and then I end up thinking, I don't know how to do it in a way that isn't destructive. Maybe I do it with money, but as a journalist, I don't like to give money to politicians. I don't think that's a wise thing to do. Certainly as the host of the show, I don't think it's a wise thing to do. Right. Um, So I don't really know. I happen to have a pulpit. All of us here have media pulpits, and so in a way... We don't even have the luxury of sitting it out. We we have to show up and do a show every week and intrinsically end up saying things. But I don't I don't know the best, most useful thing I could do to help. I mean, um, an associated challenge is this problem of normalizing him. And I think we all are trying really hard not to do that by essentially treating him, as you were saying, Adam, differently than you might have treated Romney or McCain, who... Yeah, you probably didn't vote for that person in the end, but you were going to give him respect along the way and find the points of common ground and take his policy views seriously. It's going to be hard for the media that we are a part of to not take to not give Donald Trump the respect normally due a major party candidate between now and November. And you can already see people giving him that respect. And I mean, it's making me shiver, but it's going to be really attention. going and forward. I, I don't know about you, Emily. I mean, obviously, I feel incredible honor to be part of The New York Times. And it feels like a massive platform. But on this one issue, it feels I feel so irrelevant. Right. I mean, I'm writing, you know, I'm, I'm finishing up my second, like ho- trying to be as anti-Trump as I can be and still have it be a reasonable column in the New York Times. And I know I'm just talking to a bunch of people who already agree. <laughs> so that feels, it, it feels a little sad and tepid. And then also, I wonder how many people who have platforms feel the following. Like I, I went on Morning Joe and I said a bunch of things against Trump and I sort of thought to myself like, hey, maybe that's like I felt good about that. I felt like I had I got some points in and judging by Twitter traffic, I certainly reached some Trump supporters who weren't happy with me. And I was like, is there a way like maybe I just focus on being available to talk about Trump's economic policy? And I did instantly think about my child and my wife and am I placing myself in danger? And, you know. I, I it's it feels scary when you look at what's happened to other people, other journalists, other Jewish journalists who have attacked him. It's right. You're thinking of Julia Yaffe and Jonathan Weiss yeah, in particular. It's scary. Surfaced a lot of the anti-Semitic response they've gotten on social media. Yeah, I just I don't know what to say about how dangerous I really think that is. It's just so hard to know, but it is unnerving. That's for sure. Yeah. Thanks, Slate Plus. Talk to you later.